This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for entrepreneurs and creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 65. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode. It's just me on my own this week and I'm going to do something a little bit different because if you're listening to this on the day that it goes out, we are on publication day for my book, Hashtag Authentic, same name as this podcast. Can't quite believe it's here. Can't quite believe it's real. It's it's deeply surreal and brilliant to see my work kind of popping up on everyone's homes and on their Instagram stories. So if you've shared, thank you so much. I am putting as many as I think I can get away with upon my own stories without trying to drive all of my followers away or insane. So I thought this week I would take you through a little bit of a behind the scenes of what it's been like to write the book, the whole journey to getting it out there in the world. And to start it off, I wanted to read to you um, just one of the first things I wrote for the book that's still probably one of my favorites. And it's on page 11 and it's called Our Visual Culture. My granddad took pictures, hundreds of them, each one a tiny rectangular labor of love. Light metered, settings carefully chosen, he would capture the moment and wind on the film, walk down to the camera shop days or weeks later to get them developed, and then write on the back in his perfect sloping hand the place, occasion and date. Both he and my grandma are gone now, but these pictures remain. I found so many as we cleared out their home, an entire treasure trove of forgotten memories and love. Pictures of them smiling at familiar Venice landmarks. My granddad, a heartbreaking 20-year-old soldier with dreamboat hair perched on the hot steps of the pyramids in Egypt. Me and my siblings, with toys, with friends, with Christmas trees, with missing teeth. In school uniform, in tears, in homemade Halloween masks. An archive of our very own and the most wonderful and magical gift. Things are different now. Nobody prints photos anymore and there's no need to write the date and place. Yet almost every one of us is building our own little archive day by day, using the camera we carry around in our pocket. Smartphone technology and digital photography have removed the problems of expense and accountability that our grandparents faced, and in doing so have taken away some of our intentionality too. When every shot costs you money and time to develop, you give it some thought. We're blessed to not live with this boundary. I'm sure I and countless other digital photographers would never have discovered their gift with those barriers still in place. We can play, experiment, take 50 shots and just keep one. It's a wonderful, liberating thing. But the downside is we often give it less thought. We don't work for that right angle quite as much. We don't scrutinise with our photographer's eye. What does it matter after all? We're just going to stick it on Facebook for a day and then forget it exists, right? I believe it does matter. In a digital age, the place for pictures in our lives has changed, but that doesn't mean that they have lost their significance. Being mindful, artful and creative with our cameras can forge powerful connections with your friends and family, with the wider community and with yourself as well. And if you have a copy of the book, paper or digital, on the page to the left hand side of that piece are some of my granddad's photographs that I'm talking about, especially the ones from when he was stationed in Egypt as a member of the armed forces. And they are a super, super treasure of mine. So it was really lovely to be able to include those. The camera I'm holding on the front cover as well is actually I think it's the one he took those pictures with, so it felt really nice to bring him into it. So I know I've mentioned at various stages kind of how this whole process has gone, and if you've been listening to the podcast for the last year or so, you've probably heard snippets about how it's been going for me. But I thought it might be good in honour of Publication Day to bring it all together. Um, 
and share kind of the whole story behind the scenes of how it all came to be and also all the stuff I've learned and what you can expect from the book in the end. So the book really first became a possibility when I was approached by an editor who was working for Jackie Small Publishing. Jackie was this veteran in the publishing world. She'd produced books like Holly Tucker's Decorate series, as well as a range of other blogger books that I knew of and really liked. So I knew I was going to be in safe hands with her. It wasn't my very first book offer. Um, It wasn't even one of like the first 10, I suppose. But all the previous ones had felt like a poor fit and possibly even bordering like people trying to scam me a little bit. In fact, there was one offer in particular that really underestimated my audience and just made me this really low ball offer of an advance that contained absolutely no royalties or future sales revenue. And I would definitely say to people to look out for that. I think it's a model in the publishing world that's possibly becoming more common. But all of my instincts were screaming at me that that was a terrible idea. And I'm really glad I turned that one down. So the best way to do this, obviously, is to get yourself an agent and then have them share your book proposal with a range of publishers, which increases the bidding and hopefully gets you into a bit of a bidding war so that you end up with the best possible advance. And for anyone who doesn't know, because this was all kind of new to me, an advance is the payment you get up front to secure you for the book deal when you sign the contract. And it normally comes in a few chunks. So you'll get some right at the start, some when you've handed in half of it, some when you've handed in the last part of it. And then the final chunk comes on publication day. Royalties then, you start to receive those after you have sold enough copies to pay back your advance. And then the more copies you sell, obviously, the more revenue you're likely to make. So I did meet with a couple of agents and I was trying to kind of get into that whole system. But just none of them felt like the right fit. Again, I just got that feeling, that kind of warning of feeling like my brand wasn't understood, that possibly I was being underestimated. And so this offer came in from Jackie Small and I just decided to go it alone and see where it took me. Honestly, I kind of knew that this meant I would be taking a financial hit in my advance. But the book was never really for me about trying to directly make money. And I'm so fortunate that there are other parts of my business that meant I was able to kind of financially support that. So maybe I should explain that a little bit more, because from what little I know, I don't think many people make a lot of money by publishing books. Unless you have a massive bestseller worldwide, I think your royalty checks are likely to be fairly uninspiring. But the platform and all that increased exposure that comes with having a book and all that follows after it is kind of what makes it worthwhile. So essentially, it's like a weighty and very glamorous business card that goes out into the world on your behalf. That's kind of why the advance wasn't as important to me as feeling like I was working with the right team and creating something that was going to be able to go out into the world and be available to people who couldn't necessarily afford to work with me, like by taking a course or working one to one. The downside to that, as it turned out, was that my advance didn't really buy me an awful lot of spare time to actually write the damn book. So I had to squeeze it in around my already fairly busy schedule, like classes and speaking engagements and travel and making this podcast and everything else, which is why, if you've noticed, places like my Instagram and my blog have been, ironically enough, a lot quieter over the last year. So if I did it again, which I definitely hope to, I think I'd shop around and I would try and get a better advance just so that I could justify having that chunk of time off and block book some time away from everything else in my calendar so that I could concentrate just on writing on its own. But that said, I I don't regret doing it this way around and it's definitely been a lot of fun. So I really had no idea what to expect from the world of publishing and I suspect that really showed. I 
felt like I was a 12-year-old girl sat at the table in those glossy offices of my publishers. Everyone else there was so experienced. They had so much authority. And my imposter syndrome just got to this loud crescendo in my head. I've got a couple of really clear memories that I think exemplify this. One is the first time I was asked to share a batch of images in a really early meeting. And it was just so that they could check that I was shooting at large enough resolution so that they were going to print okay. I was terrified, terrified, terrified that they would say they weren't good enough, that I was doing it all wrong, that I wasn't properly a photographer, that I'd have to go back to square one. And they didn't. And looking back, it's probably slightly ridiculous to me that I thought that. But I share it because I think it so perfectly shows how quickly we can rewind to all of our deepest vulnerabilities when we're faced with a new set of challenges. For me, publishing really represented external validation and feedback on my work from quite a qualified source and it was probably my first time truly experiencing that. So perhaps it's not really that surprising that I immediately rewound to the last time in my life when I'd felt that way and that was probably when I was at school. In my head I think I was literally swinging my legs under the table like a schoolgirl. <laughs> the second example of when I remember this really clearly is when Jackie told me that the book could have no direct geographical identity. So she was really clear about this, that in order to sell the book in places like France and the US and Australia, which she was expecting to be quite a big market, it needed to not be too British. So no cups of tea, no cricket, no pubs or like local wildflowers. And I was sat at that big shiny table and thinking... That makes no sense for my brand. Like, location is practically one of the main characters in the story of my life. And tea is basically my staple diet. But what I said was, oh, okay, okay, I'm not, I hadn't thought of that. Good job you're here to tell me. <laughs> and then later, of course, safe in my home in the very geographically identifiable Yorkshire Hills, all of my courage sort of roared back to life and I had a whole lot of other things I wish I'd said. But it actually took me a few weeks and I had to have some sessions with Sas Petherick, who you might know is a coach who helps people with self-doubt. And I had to draw on an awful lot of courage to be able to advocate for myself and for you guys, for my readers, and push back against what felt like the weight of all of that expertise and knowledge. I think as well as the fear of being just thought a total diva and of being disliked for that, it was also the very real consideration that they, they might be right and I might be totally wrong about this. I mean, they know this industry a lot better than I do, but I know my brand and I know my audience and I know my content and my gut instinct was just really firmly telling me that it was worth the risk to go for this. Once they were on board, of course, with all of this, that meant I had to then start delivering the goods and I seriously delayed submitting anything for consideration, really until the last possible moment. We'd set this deadline where I was going to go in and look over kind of the bare bones of it. And I didn't even hit send on the manuscript until I got on the train to get there. And I guess I'm sharing this, knowing that I'm probably going to sound like a complete unprofessional and an incompetent writer with no self-belief. But because I actually am fairly professional and I'm a decent writer and I have got some hard-won self-belief. I feel like I've already learned all of these lessons before and I've had these moments of vulnerability before when it came to getting my writing published in magazines for the first time or submitting my first column or having my photos in print for the first time. 
Like I've already done all this work, but every time I step into a new professional or creative arena, I find myself having to go back to square one and learn it all over again. I think it's tempting to think that once you reach a certain point in your career or your business, that self-doubt is going to stop being an issue. But anyone who tells you that it does, I think is lying to you. Next time I write a book, it will be easier, yes. But when the next big challenging project comes around, I know that I'm going to be back to square one and having to do all my power poses in the toilet cubicles and reminding myself that I don't have to apologize for everything. And I think some things in life are just like that. They're the lessons that we kind of have to keep repeating, have to keep reapplying in different situations until we can fully generalize them across the whole pattern of our life. So if you relate to any parts of that story, please take inspiration from the fact that it's perfectly possible to feel all of those things, to struggle with all of that internal dialogue and still get to the end point where you're making stuff happen. As is so often the case in all of these kind of slightly self-inflicted dramas I bring on myself, I needn't really have worried. I showed up with them still reading through that chapter one manuscript I'd sent over and the feedback was wonderful and glowing. I think it's one of like the top 10 moments in my entire professional life that I'm going to cherish forever. Just sitting back at that table and listening to these two people who I'd been intimidated by their experience and by their expertise and then they were telling me how wonderful my writing was. I think it probably actually slightly surprised some members of the team because I really felt like from that day on, their perception of me and our relationship changed. There was another real turning point like this in terms of my courage and I think their perception of me. And that was a meeting I turned up to shortly after Jackie Small had presented the title at some big conference, a sales conference, I think it was for like the whole of their network and somewhere in the States. She said that every year there's one standout book that everyone gets excited about and that year it had been mine and it was sort of like someone had flipped the turbo switch on everybody's enthusiasm and everything about the whole process suddenly got ramped up. What was weird was that after that it really felt like the work of proving myself had been done and I didn't feel like it was such a fight to get my ideas and my opinions incorporated and appreciated. I hadn't really realized what a block all of that had been putting on me, that feeling of not being understood and all of the self-doubt that came from it. But I got on the train after that meeting and I remember I wrote nonstop on my iPhone notes the whole way home, like two and a half hours. And then the next day I got up and I just wrote the whole day through and the day after that. It was like all of this book had been building up inside of me, but there was this wall that had been built around all those feelings of insecurity and I needed to get those out of the way before the book could kind of come out. So it was around this stage when things were finally kind of really flowing for me and I felt like I knew exactly where I was headed that I received a slightly unexpected email to say that Jackie would be retiring and so her imprint was going to be absorbed and reshuffled into part of the bigger publishing house that it already resided under. So now my book instead of being a Jackie Small title was going to be published by White Lion which is part of the quarter group who were always kind of above Jackie Small. On the surface, that should have meant nothing too huge would change, but I'd already just lost my original editor, Joe, who was the one who had first pitched for me and commissioned the project because she'd taken a role with a different publishing house. So it kind of felt like now I was just floating free and I had this whole team that I'd never met, that I'd never seen face to face, and they didn't know any of the history of where we'd come from. I think as a result of that, it felt like the chain had kind of weakened. I know I didn't have the energy or really the drive to prove myself all over again. 
And I was hoping really just that the quality of my book was going to speak for itself. And I do believe it does. But I definitely really missed the strong presence of Jackie in those meetings. She was kind of a battle axe. She was slightly terrifying, but incredibly powerful, incredibly insightful. And I really felt safe under her direction. My new editor, Anna, was really wonderful. And I also had Sean and Isabel who did the graphic design for the book. And the team I actually worked with was fantastic and did such a good job of keeping me on track and keeping me to deadlines and getting it finished. So the whole process of like visually designing a book as a minefield I had not prepared myself for. I would brought together for this book a combination of new photography and also some of my favorites from my archive. And I'd arranged those into chapters kind of based on the topics and their themes and what I thought corresponded best to what I'd written on each page. But anyone who plans or curates their Instagram is probably going to relate to the problem I had in that they just didn't flow. If we wanted to put more than one picture on a page and bearing in mind that some of the images I've shared in the book are shot on my iPhone because I really wanted to show what's possible when you're just using your smartphone, a lot of them were not big enough to print full bleed kind of to fill a whole page of the book so that meant that we had to do a bit of mosaic and put a few pictures on each page and that meant they all had to harmonize and kind of feel like they were a unified thing in order for it to kind of make visual sense so there is no software for this there is no easy way to do it after loads of back and forth with the publishers I ended up just literally printing out about 500 mini thumbnails of all of the pictures for the book I had them spread out across my dining table in piles corresponding to each page and it actually worked quite well because I was able to then kind of color match and and match by shape and arrangement and I remember I'd got a lot of them sorted and then Jack my budgie flew over to take a look which was fine until he flew away and the draft from his wings scattered all the pictures all over the floor and I had to start again and then of course there's the task of making those pictures correspond back to the file names finding the files putting them in the folders and then telling the publishers what each folder means. Even after that, there was still loads of like, can the bottom left image on page 56 be swapped with this one because I think it's slightly less warm. And there were hundreds of emails like this. And then some with me saying, actually, sorry, I think it was better before. Can we change it back? I felt so deeply conscious of the intensity of my demands at this point. I felt like I was really micromanaging and I was aware that it might be more input than some other authors might have chosen to have. But I also felt like I had no choice and it needed to be right. It needed to meet my standards. At one point, I actually offered to go down to London and like sit next to the woman who was doing the graphic design, Isabel, if that would be helpful. Or I was like, I'll download the software and maybe I can make the changes myself. But that's not how it works. And publishing, I've learned, is very much about how it all works, how it's always been done. So we had to stick to the system and just this massive volume of emails. And it was kind of likewise with proofreading and editing. Lots of, there's a typo or there's an extra space on the, at the middle of page one, two, four. And I think I expected all of that to be more technical. I think I at least expected there'd be like an Asana list, but it really was kind of old school. We're both looking at the same piece of paper. How do we communicate what we're both seeing? And of course, I'd written everything right at the start in a document format. But as we started to put things onto pages, it became really apparent where the text was too long or too short. I guess in a novel or a purely text-based book, it doesn't matter so much because the text can just keep flowing onto the next page and the next page until you reach the end of a chapter. 
But in a non-fiction book with images, it all has to fit. So if there were two pages available for a topic, then that was all I could have. It actually made me really grateful for all of my years of writing for all kinds of different purposes, because it meant I was fairly good at ruthlessly culling when I had to. And in the end, I do think it makes the book stronger because there was just no scope for waffle. There was nowhere I could be overly wordy. And a few times when I was really certain that a point needed to be included and it couldn't be removed, I got quite dogged about insisting that it had to stay. And we found really creative ways to like reduce images or move things to different pages, even pushing the page margins, I think, in a few cases just to make sure it all fit and still looked right. So when I first signed up with Jackie at the beginning, I know she had really big, clear plans and a vision for how the book was going to be shared with the world. There was going to be a promotional tour. I remember she talked about places like New York and Paris. There was going to be an audio book. She had this whole marketing pathway she wanted me to follow. I felt like this vision was one of the biggest casualties of the change I experienced in my publishing team. By the time I was actually able to get hold of the PR department, which felt like I pushed an awful lot for, we were just a few months away from publication and it was clear that their vision wasn't quite the same. Now I'm no stranger to the world of PR and marketing because I've been doing my own for the last four years and I've dealt with an awful lot of marketing departments along the way. And I have to say the women in the team at my publishers have all been so brilliant. They've got such an amazing skill set. But I'm also aware that they're very, very stretched. And I think a lot of the time promises are made that actually are maybe not realistic for the people who actually got to try and keep them on other people's behalf. At one point, I noticed on Instagram that advance PR samples of my book had started to arrive. So some magazine editors had got them, some influencers, even some micro-influencers And I still hadn't received a copy myself. So I had to send an email asking when I might expect one. And they sort of quietly admitted that they'd forgotten and that there were no more left in the country. But they did manage to find me a quite battered, tatty copy that I think had been sat on somebody's desk. So once I realised that possibly the original PR plan was not going to be forthcoming, I set about this last minute one woman blitz to try and do it all myself. I basically pitched to every journalist that I've ever had any form of contact with. I answered loads of journalist requests from anywhere I could find them. I was like a woman possessed. Another thing was my publishers didn't seem very keen on me doing any sort of launch event. They said they didn't really think they worked, but I was really keen to do it. So I went out and was really fortunate that I was able to speak to people like Dolly Alderton and Laura Jane Williams and Dominique from All That Is She And they agreed to do events with me. And at that point, I was able to go back to my publishers and get them on board. And we were able to organize the events that are going to be happening over the next few weeks. I've also done things myself, like I've had some amazing gifts designed, which are going to be able to be used on Instagram stories by everybody. I've shelled out and had posters and cards made, which I'm sending out as part of a pre-order initiative. And the link for that, by the way, is in the show notes if you are a pre-orderer and you've not already claimed your poster. Now, I don't want this to sound like I'm slagging off my publishing team here in any way because they have been so brilliant. They've been sending out review copies. They've been sending press releases. They're running ad campaigns. They're doing all of that stuff for me. They've also been really helpful at getting the events organized in water zones. And I honestly cannot thank the whole team for all their hard work enough. It's more just to say that it turns out, maybe I should have already known this, but the real work of sharing a book and getting it out there falls down to the author. It's not something that I'd ever necessarily heard anyone speak about before, but it's it's actually kind of good news once you've got your head around it, because everything I did, every connection that I had, 
that every platform that I have that I can speak from, every way that I've found to get this book out and get word out there and get conventional press or whatever it is that I've needed has been something that I've built myself over the past four or five years of my business. It's mainly from just hard work and seizing opportunities and trying to say yes to anything that I think is going to be valuable in future. And finally, I feel like all of that has paid off. That means that actually you don't need the wheels of a really big publishing house behind you to be pushing your book into the world if that's not the route you want to take. And it means in the end I've had a lot more say about who hears about my book and where and how it's written about. Of course, I say all of this, but obviously right now it's hard to know exactly how successful all this promo has actually been. But what I do know is that I'm gaining daily Instagram followers who found me via the book. Hello, you guys. And that the title has sold out on pre-order both here in the UK and over in the United States. So they had to order a reprint about a month and a bit ago for both of those markets. Now, that sounds pretty impressive, I think. But based on all of that previous experience that I've mentioned in this podcast, I feel like it's also possible that my publishers just slightly underestimated demand. But either way, though, I think it shows all our hard work to create a pre-sale buzz has been pretty successful. And hopefully, fingers crossed, that's going to continue now the book is actually out there in the world. Okay, so that is kind of how we got to today. But I feel like I should probably tell you a bit more about the book itself. So it's divided in two, four sections inside. There's chapter one, which is storytelling. Chapter two is making pictures. Chapter three is archiving your life and chapter four is called sharing your world. So the first one, storytelling, is kind of a space for reflection on what Instagram represents and why it's so powerful and why we all love it so much. There's sections in there about finding your style, trying to identify your niche and some exercises along the way. And there's also quite a bit looking at the different parts of your real life exactly as it is right now and why they're so worthy of capturing and treasuring and sharing if that's something you want to do. In the second chapter we get really into the nitty-gritty of taking pictures for Instagram. So using your smartphone or your DSLR if you prefer, lots of insights on what kind of compositions work best on Instagram, tips and tricks for editing and how to make photos that are going to stand out and really get your voice heard. The third chapter, Archiving Your Life, opens with a piece that I called It Doesn't Have to Be Disneyland. The point being, don't be fooled into thinking that you have to be sharing this perfect life all the time. So here I break down different areas of my life and show examples of how I capture them and share them. And there's lots of tips here and kind of all throughout the book scattered through from some of my favorite people on Instagram from around the world doing all kinds of different things and they're sharing tips and tricks and insights into how they do it. This chapter also contains one of my favorite pictures probably that I've ever taken. Um, it's on page 146 um, and I've never shared it anywhere before so there you go, bit of an exclusive. <laughs> Finally the sharing your world chapter looks at the strategy side of things so getting those visual stories that we've been capturing out into the world. So we look there at things like captions and gallery styles and using Instagram stories, but also questions about what defines success and who your real audience is and how you can protect yourself and your mental health and stay safe online. As you probably would expect from a book about Instagram, I have put quite a lot of emphasis in this one on photography and really creating great imagery throughout. 
And that's because this is still the best way that we can communicate on Instagram. I mean, it's a photo sharing app, right? So that's literally what everything is built around on Instagram is a picture or a video. It's the visual. Whenever people assume it's all about hashtags or using the right tagging strategy, I kind of liken it to imagining that the secret to really great pasta is deciding what bowl to use. It's what the content is that matters and everything else is kind of just how you're going to serve it up. I guess what I'm really trying to help get across in this book is that there is no one right way to take a picture for Instagram. Just like words, images are just a communication tool and you get to choose how you use that. There are certain fundamentals that help us make sure that we're understood, of course, kind of like spelling and grammar, but for pictures. But beyond that, it is free reign. So while my feed might be full of the kind of moody lifestyle images, yours could be completely, totally different. And that is perfect. And I really hope that this book is just as right for that person as it is for someone who shoots like I do. I'm aware that there will be some people out there, maybe listening to this, maybe buying the book, who are drawn to the title hoping that maybe it's going to have some deep, dark secrets about how you can become Insta-famous, despite probably, if we're really honest, knowing deep down in yourself that those secrets don't exist. Mm -hmm. And it definitely does contain, like, my best wisdom on growing an audience and building powerful connections and all the things I've learned about how that happens and what makes it work. But my real hope is that after reading this book, anyone thinking that way is going to kind of change their mind and realize that's not what they're looking for after all. I just think the words Insta-fame, to me, they bring to mind that huge Kardashian slash Jenner style of following. No real connection, no purpose, no heart, just a huge massive audience of people kind of clamoring for your attention. And I don't mean to crap on anyone's dreams here. Like if that's your goal, go for it. But I just want to say you get to do anything with your voice and your time here on earth. You get to choose And there are a thousand better ways to make use of that and to make use of this amazing opportunity we all have with the internet being free and open and new than flogging diet pills and fake tanning creams and whatever else people do to make those those Insta-famous accounts pay the bills. So if the book sounds like it might be something you'll enjoy, you can find it in all good bookstores if you've not already ordered it. It's called Hashtag Authentic and it is a guide to finding creativity and community on Instagram and beyond. And I would really love to hear your thoughts. So you can come and find me on Instagram where I'm at me underscore and underscore Ola. Should have thought about how long that would take to say when I set my username up. And you can tell me what you think of the book, good or bad. I am open to hearing it all, but obviously going to hope that you love it. Also, you'll hear me say this quite a lot, I think, over the next few weeks. But one of the best and most important things you can do to support an author is to leave Amazon reviews. Kind of a new thing to me. I didn't realize how important it was. But there's a critical number. I think it's 15 where you're supposed to try and reach. And that helps visibility and search results and everything else for people discovering your book. So if you do enjoy the book, please consider leaving me a review. Even if you didn't buy it from Amazon, I'm pretty sure you can log in and leave your feedback there. And that would be a huge help to me. Finally, if you are on my mailing list, or if you're not yet, but are about to be after listening to this podcast, I'm sending out a special little freebie tomorrow to mark the official publication day. So you can hop over to my website, meandorla.co.uk, pop your email address into any of the boxes for signing up, and you will get onto the list where I will send out that special printable 
just a little freebie that I'm hoping is going to go up on people's walls and help make their week a little bit better. While you're on my website, do check out the events page. I believe there's still tickets available for Edinburgh and there are a few new dates coming up soon that are going to be announced. And I will also be sending all of those details out to everyone on my mailing list too. Thank you if you've listened to me waffling on for this entire recording. It has been lovely to talk to you. And whether you're going to buy the book or not, I hope that this was a bit of an interesting insight into what it's like to go on that journey. I'm going to be recording my live events over the next few weeks. So look out for the podcast recordings of those. The first one is happening tomorrow with Laura Jane Williams. And there should be an episode or two. I'm not sure how I'm going to divide it up of our conversation together. Fingers crossed if all my recording equipment behaves itself. There's also going to be an episode with Dolly Alderton after that. And the one with Dominique Davies of All That Is She that I mentioned, plus hopefully some future ones too. I think you guys are all excellent humans and I'm very grateful for you listening and all of your support. I hope you're having a lovely day. Go get yourself a cup of tea, you've earned it. And I will see you in the next episode.